0: Hey guys, Matt here. Before we begin this episode of The Obsessive Viewer, I just want to mention that we are currently running a contest where you can win a free Obsessive Viewer t-shirt. The contest runs from now until January 1st, and if you want to enter, all you have to do is leave a rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Then you need to take a screenshot of the review and email it to matt at obsessiveviewer.com with the subject line, Obsessive Viewer t-shirt contest on january 1st i'll randomly select a winner from the entries and we'll get a free t-shirt mailed to them we'll be accepting entries until december 31st at midnight so make sure you get the email in before then thank you guys for listening and enjoy this week's episode of the obsessive viewer this is matt hurt at obsessive viewer on twitter
1: this is tiny at obsessive tiny on twitter
0: and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's the obsessive viewer podcast Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We are a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, whether it be genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com and more of our podcasting at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. And you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And sponsoring this week's episode once again is of course Horror Movie Yearbook from the Midwest Podcast Network. Uh, you can find them at HM Yearbook on Twitter and at horrormovieyearbook.com. Horror Movie Yearbook is a podcast that takes a few different, uh, horror movies from, uh, from one year and then, uh, reviews them and discusses them in context with the, um, year that they were released. And they just recently, um, Uh, did a review of uh, Stranger Things, uh, both season one and two, Nice um, as a special episode. So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the disaster artist, but Tiny, first, I have a couple things I want to bring up, but before I do that, how's it going? Oh, hi, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad you said, oh, hi, Matt. How's your sex life? (laughs) (laughs) Be a short podcast. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Jesus. (laughs) 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 Ha <laughs> 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 what a great story <laughs> um, terrible oh my god i'm so excited to talk about this movie yes. <laughs> um, so yeah but before we do that uh, a couple things to bring up at the top of the episode here um we mentioned last week i mentioned something about twilight zone coming to uh, uh, cbs all access that might have been a couple weeks ago Mm-hmm. And uh I mentioned that I wasn't sure how CBS All Access was in terms of um content, if they were uh kind of um uh pigeonholed to network standards since it's CBS All Access is, uh, since CBS All Access is of course owned by CBS and it is their streaming service. Um I heard from Tony Troxel, our friend, uh from Geeking in Indiana. He told me today that, uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's like any other streaming service, uh, star war or star Trek discovery is, uh, a, uh, is R rated. There's been, I think he said a couple of F bombs and also some Klingon nudity. So yeah. Um, and then going to the app store (laughs) download. Okay. All right. Um, also, a uh, little bit of news. There was one thing that I read that were kind of, to kind of whet the appetite for next week's episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I read that, you know how Ryan Ryan uh, Johnson, Johnson, yeah, Ryan Johnson, this is a mess. No, well, I mean, in your defense, it's not a very common name. So. Right, yeah. Johnson isn't a common name Yeah, at all. not at all. <laughs> how uh, Ryan Johnson is uh, going to be doing a new trilogy after this one. Right. Uh, of Star Wars. Yay. Um, but what i read that was interesting was that uh apparently that project was greenlit or got off the ground or was okayed by lucasfilm just because they like ryan johnson okay um he said he spoke to slash film recently and said that yeah like like it wasn't it wasn't greenlit from a story idea like he didn't give like a story idea or anything Uh, or pitch a story he was just like uh the way that he put it was that at the end of working on The Last Jedi, every it felt like uh the end of senior year. Uh
2: uh-huh.
0: and uh I this isn't the exact quote, but he said like, and we're all putting our books away and our and our lockers and everything and then talking and then uh talking about how we want to keep working together, and so he's like, hey, what if I just do another trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, Yeah, okay, and then that's how they got off the ground. Oh wow. So that's pretty interesting and it's It's, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, yeah, but we'll talk more about Star Wars next week. Today is all about the disaster artist. And of course, going into the review, we are going to be doing a non-spoiler and spoiler review. Um, but before we get into any of that, let's talk a little bit about the room. Mm -hmm. Uh, the room has a, (laughs) an amazing cult following and it is. A complete disaster of a movie. Um, it's like, I, I had loaned it to Fecus and he asked if it was as bad as Troll 2. And I said, it's worse than whatever you, you're thinking it is right now. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, for, unfortunately, he couldn't, he couldn't be here on the podcast for this. He actually saw a disaster artist today. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, the room is amazing. I first saw it probably ooh, four, four, five years ago, maybe. And I have seen it twice, twice in the theater now at this point. Um, once with a packed house for a midnight screening, which is the best way to screen it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in Indianapolis, Keystone Art is actually doing midnight screenings this weekend. Nice. For it. And, uh, then I saw a special, uh, screening of it for like a Riff tracks live screening of it nice which was a freaking blast it was it was awesome cool um yeah it's such a delight such a such a great experience like the comedy of it is is hilarious to me so i love the room for as terrible and hilarious as it is <laughs> the way that i describe it is that it's it's like watching a movie that was made by an alien who crash landed in like Russia or somewhere in Europe um, and lived there for several years, taking their uh, grasp of whatever language the country that they're in speaks, and then using that to make an American movie. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, that's how I kind of awkwardly categorize it. Tiny You've just recently seen the room for the first time. Yeah, like 5 days ago. Yes. How did you feel going into it? How did you feel coming out of it? And will you ever be the same?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, going into it, it had been built up a lot, so I was mm-hmm. worried that it was not going to be enjoyable at all. Um, but it it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's an amazing movie. Like how can how can so many things go wrong? <laughs> but turn out delightfully. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. they were disasters, but because of context and preconceptions and attitudes, it's a fantastic thing that it went wrong, I guess. It's just, it's Mm -hmm. amazing that that can happen so many times in one occasion uh, Mm -hmm. to make something so wonderful. (laughs) Um, It's just, (laughs) yeah, I... um, I was blown away. It was funnier than I thought it would be. The mm-hmm. the room. I I thought it was just going to be like, I thought I was just going to be cringing at a lot of it. Right. But I really wasn't. I was just outward laughing. Like I treated it like a comedy, mm-hmm. and and that was the right attitude to have with it. Um, it's it's just so ridiculous. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. I can't. I don't understand how someone cooked that up in their brain and then put it on paper and mm-hmm. made it happen.
0: And what's amazing it's, is, even after seeing the disaster artist, I still don't know, yeah, exactly, but oh, uh, it's man, it's so great um mm-hmm. y- are you going to see it in the theater at some point uh, yes, I'd really nice. like, I'd really like to, nice, yeah, it's such a shame that there's midnight screenings for it because at least I can't speak for you, but i'm I feel old like i'm yeah. thirty one almost thirty two Yes. I always have to count. 31 and a half. Yeah, 31 and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, I just just don't think I can do midnight screenings anymore. It's rough. I don't think Um, I can either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Have I seen The Room twice or three times in theaters? I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, so... That's our kind of overall thoughts on, on The Room itself. So The Disaster Artist is a movie that is an adaptation of Greg's, uh, Greg Sestero's um, book about the making of The Room, titled also um, The Disaster Artist. Greg Sestero uh, uh, – Greg Sestero, that's his name, right? Yeah. He played Mark in the movie. And Named in, after Matt Damon. In The Room. Yeah.
1: Is the character is named after Matt Damon. Right. He just thought his name was Mark Damon.
0: That's right. That was a okay. That's right. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm big fan of Mark Damon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, so the Disaster Artist is an adaptation of that, written by uh, I can't, I don't have their names in front of me, but they are the people that scripted uh, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Oh, okay. In the um, spectacular now, and in some other some other movies, mm-hmm. and it is directed by James Franco, mm-hmm. who also stars as Tommy Wasau, uh the uh, the genius of the room, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, co-starring in it as as Greg Sestero is his bro- is James Franco's brother Dave Franco, and then there are just tons of recognizable faces in this movie. Yeah. It's like comedy made a movie about the room (laughs) yeah um pretty much every everyone you can think of off the top of your head is is that is in the comedy field uh is makes an appearance in this movie Mm -hmm. so um it's all about the making of the room and tiny what after having seen the room for the first time so recently what were you expecting going into the disaster artist um, I, I wasn't sure if they were going to go
1: with like a, a straight adaptation of the story or like, is it, if they were going to try to be funny or if they were going to try to be dramatic. I mean, I can't imagine those guys being, being dramatic with yeah. it. Um, but yeah, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I wasn't sure. <sighs> yeah. I really just wasn't sure cause I hadn't read the book mm-hmm. and so I wasn't sure if, if you know, if they were gonna treat it the right way, if they were gonna take creative licenses or if it was even gonna be if it was even gonna be like uh like candid and talk about how it's a true story or whatever mm-hmm. and or if it's just gonna be like a I don't know, like an adaptation of the book. I wasn't really sure. Right. Um but I I'm glad with what they did. Um I think it was um I think it turned out pretty well.
0: Yeah, uh same here. I was very excited about this movie. I was very much looking forward to it just because I was a fan of the room and also the trailers looked like it was going to be a very a very enjoyable experience. Um if only because uh James Franco looked looked like he was going to just na- just nail the role. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about his performance in in detail, I'm sure but that and just the like that first teaser trailer that they released that was um uh James Franco uh, as Tommy Wasau doing Wasau doing the uh the scene on the rooftop where he came, where he comes in and says like i did not hit her i did not <laughs> Oh, hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Um, that scene and getting it, get, like, having to get so many different takes. Like, that teaser trailer is the perfect teaser trailer because it says everything that you need to know about this movie going into it. (laughs) And it's just perfectly encapsulates the, 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 what they're, what they were going for to achieve this movie, um, with this movie. And it was amazing to me because this is a movie that I, Wasn't like I was expecting it to be hilarious. I was expecting it to be hilarious and I was expecting it to have a lot of heart too. But the kind of drama aspect of it, with it's basically the story of the friendship of Grace Sistero and Tommy Wiseau. It's it really, uh, maybe not resonated that much, but like it felt like it felt like an authentic, dramatic, um, (laughs) dramatic story Mm -hmm. wrapped around this just absolutely absurd. Thing like, I would love to get the reaction of someone who is completely isolated from from knowledge of the room. <laughs> like, I would love for someone to just go into the disaster artist having no idea that the room exists, that Tommy Wiseau exists, that this whole thing exists, and they just go into the disaster artist thinking that this is a a fictional a, a fictional story about a fictional fictional people making a fictional movie. Um, and just to get their read on, read on it, to see how, how absurd it is. Like, does it work as a movie itself (laughs) without the context of knowing how much of a disaster the room itself is? Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that would be interesting to, to hear, but, uh, yeah. So overall I, I loved it. Um, yeah, it, it definitely lived up, lived up to it. Um, so what all do you want to talk about in kind of broad terms before we go into spoilers?
1: Well, um, I, I was really surprised with uh, – like you, I knew it was going to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really surprised with how heartfelt it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I I, I kind of wasn't expecting that. Um, I think they made a really good choice uh to basically like kind of humanize Tommy Wiseau, I would say cuz he's basically like an alien mm-hmm. like you said yeah um but no, they 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 really humanized him and you know he's he's such a it's so easy to kind of laugh him off as this ridiculous character but you have to I think I think it's even it's an even better story if you take Tommy Wiseau and and make him uh, sympathetic and make him like, you know, he, he was taking this seriously the whole time. Yeah. You know, and it's like we you kind of forget that, you know, mm-hmm. that it's this meant a lot to him and he wanted this to be, you know great American movie. Great American movie. <laughs> Johnny, he's American hero. <laughs> maybe uh, also a vampire. Maybe also a vampire. <laughs> so great. Um but yeah he you know he paid when the movie came out he paid a bunch of money to keep it in the theater so that it would be eligible for the Oscars. Right. Like he believed in this movie, you know, Mm -hmm. he wanted it to be a a memorable film that would last forever that people would take seriously and talk about and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, ironically it turned out to be that, but, um, yeah, he, he was taking this seriously the whole time. And, and like, I think it was kind of touching really to experience his heartbreak and, and his, uh, his realization that they had made a shitty movie. Yeah. Um, And just, it's, I didn't, I didn't realize I was going to feel that way. And it's, it's, it's almost like it's, it's just interesting to sympathize with the character for that reason. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they, they, not only did they do a good job with it, they did a great job with it. Like it was, it kind of took, it took me by surprise. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, it was great.
0: Yeah, and I've heard it described as being a movie about people who have no talent but are passionate about something. Yes, and coming to the realization that they have no talent. People with a dream with no talent, going after that dream. And I mean, that's a cruel way to say it, but it is. There is a a, a character arc for the characters of of Greg and and uh, Tommy throughout the movie that works that they work really well. Yeah. Um, and there is so much heart to that story, that whole idea of, yeah, we've been rejected by this Hollywood machine that, like, they don't want us, so let's just make it our own. Let's do let's do our own thing. And that is a story that, like, the filming of the movie of The Room was in 99 and 2000, I think. Was it? I'm trying to remember what the timestamps were. In the movie, but regardless, it was pre YouTube and pre like new media, right, right? Um, so they did what, like, if the timeline of the room's production was jumped ahead five, six years, it wouldn't even have made a blip because right. we're in an age of YouTube and vine stars and people that are making like creating their content online and being noticed for it and everything. So if this had been made, if the room had been made at a time when that is at its height or just starting out, it would be just a funny viral video that no one would would look twice at. Yeah. But since it exists as it does at the time that it did, it's become this cult this cult experience that is one of the, one of the best theater experiences you will have. <laughs> yes. It's just such a joy to watch. And, um, there's something to be said about just the passion of people involved in the production of The Room and how all of that, um, unfolded and, and throughout the production and how mysterious it still is to this day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of like kind of, cultural resonance with with that um in terms of the the story there um yeah and what did you think of performances overall
1: um i mean james franco absolutely crushed it yeah i mean absolutely crushed it there's i I feel like any time first of all i i'm gonna come out and say i think he might be in the running for an Oscar
0: i I think so too
1: I mean I, and i'm I agree with it hundred mm-hmm. percent and so I think whenever whenever someone gets nominated for an Oscar for playing a real life person, mm-hmm. there's always this argument that like well, it's easier because you know you can just you know you have something to work off of so right and i I disagree with that mm-hmm. so much because I think it's actually harder. If you're playing some random character, you can right. do whatever you want, whatever's easy for you. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're James Franco trying to play Tommy Wiseau and you're really struggling to find that "quote unquote" accent that he has, mm-hmm. um, it's really hard. Like, you have you, you don't have any leeway. You can't just like kind of get it, yeah. or like make it sound more French than Irish or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't you can't just run with it. You have to make yourself get down their mannerisms specifically. You mm-hmm. know? It's I, th- I think it's harder.
0: Yeah. Like you don't have the crutch of making uh choices. Right. Like you don't have the freedom of making choices, like acting wise, <clears throat> making a choice for a character. And you don't have the crutch of saying, like, oh, that's just a character choice. Like, oh, Uh, this is a terrible example, but, oh, he does this weird thing with a Jolly Rancher where he shoves it in some, someone's (laughs) mouth, but, uh, and that's not a good example, but like, just like, oh, yeah, this character has a weird, a weird affectation on their voice, or they have a weird, like, kind of side glance that they do occasionally, and like, it helped enhance the performance and everything. Like, you, when you're, when you're portraying a real life person who you, interact with and and you have you have it's a more um constrained performance because you have different things that you have like different beats you have to hit while also honoring like what like what the art is going to be depicting of this of this character that's based in real life mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's a really good point and yeah james franco was just astounding yes um
1: i think this is the best the most I've ever enjoyed Dave Franco.
0: You know, me, <laughs> me too. And I, like I've grown to to enjoy him quite a bit. Yeah. Um. But I will say that I, I liked him in this movie, but I kind of feel like James Franco kind of stole, uh, not stole, but um, overshadowed. Overshadowed, 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 him. Yeah, definitely. Um, because I mean, James Franco, like, and this is such a cliche to say, but he just disappears in the role. Yes. And The, uh, and, and Dave Franco, it's like, okay, it's Dave Franco doing, um, uh, Greg Sestero, Sestero. like, okay. And that's fine. That's, he does a good job, but it's also like, yeah, this, this feels, this just feels like Dave Franco. Not, not, yeah, not really to, to discredit his, his performance overall, because he did a really good job because his, his character and his performance does carry a lot of the emotional, um, uh, drama that's in the script and in the movie, but it still just felt like, like he didn't disappear into the role like, like James Franco did. Very dramatic.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I feel like Dave Franco used to annoy the shit out of me all the time. Oh, me too. And he's gotten better. And like, I, I enjoyed him in like, uh, uh, neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, like he's playing a frat guy. That's perfect for him. Yeah. in so, 21 jump street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he, he was great for that stuff. Yeah. Um, this this role was a little meteor. I think he did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everybody else. I mean, there's so many people in this there movie. Are tons. It's it's really crazy. I yeah. I kind of respect a lot of the like pretty serious like big name actors who just like jumped into these tiny little roles. Like Jackie Weaver, uh, yeah. playing playing Gwendolyn or Claudette. <laughs> I'm sorry, Claudette. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Hutcherson mm-hmm. was hilarious as Danny. Yeah. Um, Megan Mullally was, was, a I think, a pretty a pretty big deal. Sharon Frickin' Stone. Yes. Who hasn't been doing a lot, really. I mean, right. I was just like, is that Sharon Stone? What the hell? <laughs> and she has, like, four lines. It's, mm-hmm. I I thought that was all, like, really funny. Especially, yeah. especially I especially loved some of the other stuff. I, I won't mention that till spoilers, but yeah. Right. There was, I mean, just the, yeah, the the, the cameos and the... Mm-hmm. That stuff was, yeah, really. I did not see that coming.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to single out, um, <laughs> Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. uh, who plays the, the DP on the, on the production of the room. And I, I loved his performance cause it's, it's Seth Rogen, but he's not, he's like, uh, he's, uh, he's muted. Like he is just the straight man in the entire, in the entire thing. right? And, his reactions are all just completely golden. I'll, I'll talk about one in particular when we go to spoilers okay. that I was just like, I was like, this is, this is perfect. Like I, I think that it kind of, um, well, I don't know if I would, I would necessarily say that, uh, Seth Rogen's performance, um, uh, played against his type, but it reminded me of like, uh, of his small role in Step Brothers where he's Mm. just this, he's, he's the straight man in this comedic thing. Yeah. And it just like, it was like that for this entire movie and it worked so well. Like I want to see more of Seth Rogen just, just kind of playing it straight and, and being a re like his reaction timing for comedy is, is really sharp. And I, I loved his performance in this movie. Right. Me too. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah that a uh, lot of a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> like it's just ridiculous i thought that josh hutcherson was a little um I, you know i don't know I, he was he was good i just kind of felt like denny like in the scenes where he is playing like he's he's acting as denny it just like in the room versus his, his portrayal in the disaster artist, it felt like there was a little bit too much kind of self-awareness oh, okay. to him. Um, cause like when you see the room and you see the character of Denny, it's like, it's, it's such a mind fuck. Like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. And it kind of felt like he had a, he didn't have that that energy to him when he was portraying him in, in the disaster artist. It's a minor nitpick, but it kind of felt like, Oh, that's the kid from, uh, uh hunger games <laughs> in, in, in the disaster artist. I didn't, I didn't believe that he was Denny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I honestly, I don't think Josh Hutcherson is that great of an actor. Me. Yeah. Me neither. He's fine, but mm-hmm. he's, he's famous for being in a dramatic, being in dramatic films yeah and so i i I just i thought it was uh it was fun to seeing him as kind of a fish out of water Mm -hmm. um being being in a comedy role like that
0: yeah and as a small tangent he is in a hulu series called future man that
1: i think looks kind of cool
0: you really see i haven't gotten a chance to see it yet but i know that it's a seth uh seth rogan and evan goldberg uh show so i definitely want to. yeah okay so I am going to check it out. And I really like uh Eliza Coop who's who's also in it. Yes. So. She's hilarious. Yes. She's yeah, she's amazing. Um so yeah, so I'll probably check that out and bring it up in a uh potpourri section at some point. Cool. Yep. Um let's see. Anything else we can talk about in non spoilers?
1: I don't think so.
0: Um well here, let's let's go this route. Um I feel like there is a preconception or a We've talked about it on the podcast a lot. How Hollywood likes to kind of blow itself, um, yes, yeah, and kind of pat itself on the back, like like giving giving Oscars to like the artist and movies that like being being more um, Birdman reward yeah rewarding to movies that are about the craft of and yes. in, in the industry and everything. Um, this is one of the first times where I've seen a movie that is in that same type of vein, even though it kind of, kind of shies away from, like, the, it, it's not a celebration of the Hollywood system. It's more a counter to that or a, um, even at sometimes maybe even a, an attack on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wonder how it's going to fare in, in like reward <coughs> season. Do you, th- like, like you said, James Franco, could have an Oscar um, for this role, mm-hmm. and I think it would be warranted definitely um, but do you think it's going to fare well with the Oscar crowd? I don't know. I feel like a lot of people
1: in like in the Hollywood scene mm-hmm. were aware of the room and they liked it because of how bad it is you know it's they liked it ironically and stuff like that. And so I feel like they have a soft spot for the room, and so they will appreciate this movie because they're such big fans of the room. Mm-hmm. And so it will get, it will get uh, accolades because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think James Franco and the film have already won quite a few awards. Um, I think it won some awards at like like uh, film festivals and stuff. Oh like, yeah, I think so too. So I think it's already doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. So we'll. I, I think it's possible. I don't think it's going to be a, a a huge deal. Like I don't think it's going to get you know ten nominations or even like eight. But may I could see it getting three or four, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe. But yeah, uh we'll see.
0: I could I could see that too. And now that we're kind of talking about it, it does. I kind of feel like it's going to be lost on a lot of the Academy voters Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah, the room is a cult phenomenon and it's a cult phenomenon because it's so terrible. So I feel like, like I said earlier in this episode, I kind of feel like the Oscar voters who will see it without the context of the room or if they're not, you know, plugged into that whole thing, I wonder how they're going to react to it or if they're going to see any type of merit in, in awarding it like a a nomination. Um, but again, the Oscars are all a farce anyway. So, um, all awards really are, (laughs) um, yeah. And I did kind of on the, a similar subject, uh, I did have a conversation with a friend of mine who said that, uh, he, and (laughs) we kind of got into a bickering back and forth because like I don't think he w- I don't think he I don't think I was picking up what he was putting down quite well but kind of the root of it was that he was uh, he wasn't interested in seeing the disaster artist because he's never seen the room because he's one of the, like he's one of those people that doesn't want to see a movie just cuz it's terrible which that's uh, fair that's okay. you know that's to each their own but he his kind of uh stance was that he thought that it was a um a little silly that kind of a mainstream audience was attaching itself to the disaster artist and it's becoming more mainstream. Um, because the room is such a cult has such a cult following. Like he, he thought that it was a little bit like jumping on a bandwagon for it to, for the disaster artist to get all these accolades and everything when it's the basis of it is this terrible product that is, is viewed ironically. Yeah. Um, which I mean he hasn't seen either of them, so he, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all just his viewpoint from the outside of it. Um yeah, do you do you did you pick up what he, what he's putting down there? Um I can understand
1: the idea that it might be bandwagon fans. Um mm-hmm. but I, I don't I don't know about that. I think it's just because it's just getting more popular. Like it's not it's not it's becoming less of a cult mm-hmm. following and more of just a popular following like it's right it's just becoming more popular it's just changing status it doesn't mean that it's less cool or it's you know not as not as fun to watch it ironically as it was before right it doesn't change that sentiment or that that reaction at all Mm -hmm. so um yeah i'm not sure if if i agree with that or not but uh i can sort of understand what he's saying
0: okay sure yeah uh yeah we don't need to really harp on it or anything but okay. uh should we dive into spoilers yeah okay good because i just got the test results back and i have breast cancer and i'm dying oh that great idea <laughs> <laughs> jesus <laughs> all right so i'm gonna play a pl- clip from the trailer and then we're gonna dive into spoilers for the disaster artist Shop on time try not fall asleep everybody am i hearing an accent oh no no what would what you win how old are you? I don't want a age. You're 19? Yeah. I just turned 14.
1: Wow. Happy birthday. This is my movie. And this is my life.
0: Okay. So spoilers on for the disaster artist. Uh, kind of the first thing I want to bring up just to get it out of the way is, uh, the Brian Cranston cameo. Yeah. I thought it was a delight. Yeah. It was funny. And I didn't, and I, I haven't done re- the research or anything, but I, I wasn't aware that like, man, that, that part of the movie was like, that was, that was rough to watch. Cause it was, I mean, the movie has established that both Tommy and Greg have dreams of, of being, of being famous actors. Mm -hmm. And Greg has this quality to him that is, you know, he has a movie star kind of quality that he like, that could have been his big break. Mm -hmm. um, Or it could have been what led to it. And just seeing the kind of passive aggressive um, uh, way that, that he was blocked from doing that is just, like there are so many layers to that that I, I really enjoyed, and I thought that, that was a very pivotal dramatic moment for the for the for the movie.
1: Yeah, it was like petty. Yeah, yeah, really petty thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I agree. Um, I wasn't expecting it, and yeah. and I was so sure that Greg was going to go, you know, do the Malcolm mm-hmm. in the Middle episode, um, but he ended up not doing it, and I think that speaks. Uh, that's pretty true to his character he's mm-hmm. fairly loyal throughout a lot of the movie and he kind of loses the uh he kind of loses that towards the end before you know when he he takes off with his girlfriend and he's he hasn't really talked to anybody and kind of forgot about the room and yeah he's doing his thing and squeaking out eking out a living as an actor kind of um mm-hmm. but with some semblance of success uh and so and then he kind of has this gets back to his loyal roots I think at the at the premiere of the movie towards the end and I think that's a return to form for his character and I that's the Greg I like more the kind of clueless dumb sort of uh gullible Greg yeah. is is a lot a lot more enjoyable um yeah so I I don't know I I think that also kind of speaks to Dave Franco's performance a little bit as well
0: Yeah I agree good. yeah Okay. Um I did actually find a um an article from Slate dot com that's uh, fact versus fiction, things that are uh real and not not true and not true from uh the disaster artist. And one of the headings is Brian Cranston and Malcolm in the Middle. Um I'll just read an excerpt from this and I'll put the link in the show notes here. Uh, in Franco's film, Greg gets the kind of opportunity that most aspiring actors can only dream of, a role on a popular television show at the invitation of the show's star. During the filming of The Room, Greg and girlfriend Amber run into Brian Cranston playing himself circa 2001 in a cafe. Cranston Greg's, notices Greg's beard and, after learning that Greg is a struggling actor, offers him the role of a lumberjack on an, in an upcoming episode of Malcolm in the Middle. Greg jumps at the chance, but Tommy refuses to give him the day off from filming to appear on the show and insists that Greg shave his beard so that Mark can make a dramatic, clean-shaven entrance in the movie. Give him the chance, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, the real story behind the beard is not nearly as dramatic. The real Greg Sestero was reluctant to shave his beard, but it wasn't because he'd been promised a role on Malcolm in the Middle. In his book, Sistero uh, says he already suspected that the room was going to be a disaster, and he liked having the beard as a disguise so that he could later disassociate himself from the film. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. And another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up also that is also in this article is the idea of the premiere, uh, or the way it's depicted in the movie. Um. In the movie, this is one of the things that – like I didn't really mind it um, because I didn't have any context for how the premiere actually went. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, um, (laughs) it's uh, it's an amazing experience to see a theater filled with people and them not reacting and not understanding – like seeing what – just how terrible the movie is. Mm -hmm. And then in the movie, it shows that they eventually turn it around and it becomes the – like that's the birth of it being this comedic hit, um in <laughs> this huge thing. And I really, really wondered if it um if it really did have that up- uproarious laughter and everything, which Yeah. Yeah. According to this uh um article, uh the actress that played um uh Michelle in, in the room said that uh there was laughter but not the cheering um that that's depicted in the movie and that a lot of people walked out within the first 5 minutes <laughs> um and of course it took time like it, that's not a surprise because it it definitely it doesn't surprise me that it took time for it to become this cult phenomenon right um how did you feel about the premiere sequence um i thought again i thought
1: it was um I thought it was a little bit hard to watch. I mean cuz yeah. they humanized Tommy was so so much in the movie and mm-hmm. you know he was just being so passionate about it and he he was completely clueless that they had an absolute piece of crap movie. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was kind of hard to watch and some mm-hmm. of the other actors was notably most notably Julie. Uh, mm-hmm. Was, you know, like embarrassed about the sex scenes and stuff like that. Um, it was, uh, it made it just a little bit rough, but at the same time, like, it's one of those situations where you can't look away, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's good, good, embarrassing moments, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Schadenfreude, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I thought it was well done and I, I appreciated the, uh, The journey of going from the awkwardness, the the audience's reaction to the film, and Mm -hmm. the awkwardness of it early on, and then it very quickly—it's almost like a a, a switch is flipped, and it goes into being a comedy, and they start laughing at it, and it's—it turns out to just be this like rip-roaring comedy film at the end Uh, that was that was really satisfying and mm-hmm. and i too wonder if that actually happened you know i yeah. i'm i'm pretty doubtful right i doubt that actually happened but uh mm-hmm. but it, the idea of it is it it's it's like a romantic idea and yeah. it makes sense for this movie and i appreciated it and
0: then they needed to truncate it for the for the movie right. obviously so i mean it's not like like it led to the a really a poignant moment between greg and tommy in the movie where he's like, like Tommy leaves, and then Greg like tells him, like, "Hey, they're enjoying it. This is entertainment." Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it. And I love the, I love the the line um, where he's like, "Do you think uh, Hitchcock ever got a reaction like that?" Yeah, I was like, "That's that's that's beautiful. That's it just is. that's a beautiful sentiment." Yeah. Um, yeah. And to kind of go back a little bit, the actual scenes of the the production of the movie, like the scenes that showed the behind the scenes of the movie and and the filming of, of the room, uh, notably the sex scene, <laughs> um, yeah. sex scene one, um, <laughs> which, uh, that's really like, that was hard to watch. It was. Um, and obviously really, uh, uh, notable also because of the, you know, wave of sexual assault and harassment things. Mm-hmm. Um, going on because in the movie Tommy just berates the actress um and everything and it's 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 a really fascinating scene to watch because you have people coming up like uh Paul Shear's character kind of coming to her defense and then she's just kind of brushing it off like no I'm fine I'm fine right it's just like it's it was a very unique uh sequence
1: yeah and it's you know it was a a a, a moment or a spot of legitimate Mm -hmm. drama amongst all of the silliness of the movie, yeah, and like you, like you said, you genuinely, it's it's genuinely hard to watch and kind of mm-hmm. makes makes you feel uncomfortable about how inappropriate Tommy Wiseau is, is yeah. being. Like it's not, it's not funny, right? And and I think it was meant to be that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also, James Franco is almost completely naked. Yeah, it should be hilarious. Yeah, but it's, and like, yeah, like. <laughs> Put yourself in like in terms of just the movie. Like, can you? Ima- you and I both have brothers. Yes. Can you imagine like going to work with your brother? Like, <laughs> yeah. Dave, like being in Dave Franco's position in the making that movie, and it's like your brother's just there with, just like is uh, completely naked except his his dick is a little covered. Right. Um. I just I was, I was like I can't. I wonder. Like that's the real mark of talent. Is yeah. that. Dave Franco pulled off such a great performance in that sequence <laughs> only in Hollywood. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And one thing kind of, this is somewhat of a, maybe a deep cut. I don't know. But, um, throughout the movie, I was disappointed that there was no, uh, in this, like they meticulously remade the sets for the room. Mm-hmm. And it's like at the end of the movie, during the credits, they show shot by shot comparisons of the room in the uh, the scenes filmed for the disaster artists. And it's, it's it 's really almost pitch perfect, yeah, um, the one thing that I was disappointed in is that in and i don 't know if you noticed this because it took me a few times to notice this in the room, but throughout the entire movie of the room, there are just really, really random framed pictures of plastic spoons right in the background, and like if you go see it in a movie theater, like you 'll notice like people come with boxes of plastic spoons and anytime it's on screen they throw it at the screen and it's amazing yeah um but i didn't see any of that in the movie yeah in the disaster artist which yeah
1: i was surprised by that as well Mm -hmm. you know i think it's kind of uh it's part of the legend of the room is that you know they they had to uh, throw a set together very quickly because mm. Tommy was adamant that they keep filming and right. so they had to go get set pieces and they came back with these random pictures of framed spoons and he, mm. was, like, he was like, okay put them up, idea. <laughs> and he's just like, let's go. Nice. And so they they just made it into the movie and it mm. turned out to be this pretty iconic thing. Nice. Um, so yeah, I figured there would be some kind of scene in the, in the disaster yeah. artist where they they pay hom- homage to that in one mm. way or another. But, yeah i was a little surprised i don't know if i was let down but
0: yeah i I mean i wasn't let down by it or anything i was just no you hated it yeah you know um (laughs) (laughs) jesus um but yeah the actual shots of uh, showing the making of it first of all chris r (laughs) yes (laughs) fucking played by zach efron god that was one of
1: my favorite parts of the whole movie when, because like I had no idea, like I was like, is that Josh Hutcherson <laughs> or whatever his name is? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, and that's zach Efron? Oh my God, you, they're gonna do the
0: okay? Did you notice that it was zach Efron? Yeah. Okay, oh, yeah. I was so, I was so um en- in entranced by the whole like fact that they're shooting that, and like that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. Uh, like uh, a friend of mine has said that like that's. She believes that that care, the guy playing Chris R in the room is the only, like he's the one person throughout the entire movie who believe, like he's acting, like he's yes. actually doing his job, right? And I was so just excited and and happy to be seeing that. I didn't like I didn't even notice that it was like until the end at the premiere and it shows Zach Efron. <laughs> I'm like, what was that fucking Zach Efron?
1: Nice. Um so yeah so anyway I noticed it right away and nice. I just, I was like that was like it was like a really intense moment and I yeah. I thought it was like actually really well done and mm. I think it was funny how he was like psyching himself up before it yeah. and like That was and great. And Denny or Josh Hutcherson was mm. so like what what's he going to yeah. do like man I thought that was really funny. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts of the movie.
0: Oh and what does he say Josh Hutcherson's like how old am I supposed to be and it's like your age it's like I'm 23.
1: <laughs> no, he's like or something. You know, he's like he's like he goes you know I like all right, it's like 15 16 he's like I'm 26. <laughs> 20- yeah same thing My- <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> it's so <right>. funny
0: <laughs> oh it's so great <laughs> yeah and you know when you go into movies that depict hollywood and, and filmmaking and stuff um <laughs> I almost want to make the comparison to the movie Bowfinger, which now after yeah. seeing the disaster hours, I really want to watch that again. Mm-hmm. Great, great movie. Yeah. Um, I love it. Anyway, mm-hmm. when you have like a depiction of, of like a filmmaking story or, or making of a movie in, in or outside of the Hollywood system and you have a, a fictitious or fictitious account of it on a film, um, there's always the chance that you'll have this, that the movie will co- go down one way or another on the side of, of Hollywood itself. Like it, it could either romanticize the idea of Hollywood or anything kind of like, uh, like La La Land had this very, uh, kind of romanticized ver- vision of, of Hollywood and, and of, um, kind of classic era Hollywood. Um, but with the disaster artist, like you kind of run the risk of not necessarily alienating Hollywood, but kind of being like, this movie could have been a, an indictment of like the Hollywood system and how it can just just completely turn people away. Um, how did you think that the movie fared in terms of depicting what it's like to be a, a struggling actor in Hollywood or a struggling creative type in Hollywood? How do you <laughs> how do you feel that it it handled that? As a, a person who doesn't act in right. Indianapolis,
1: right? Yeah, having no experience <laughs> with it. Um, all yeah. I can say is I appreciated their depiction of it. Mm-hmm. I liked how you know uh, Greg goes to the to the, the agent, the agency, mm-hmm. and she just like tells him to stand up and turn around. Yeah, and, like what's with your hair and stuff like that. And based on his looks, nothing at all to do with his acting ability. Mm-hmm. She decides to sign him. And then he just gets nothing, you know, and he's, they show him doing a few auditions and yeah. that was, that was pretty funny using mm. an accent and stuff like that. Um So that stuff was, I, I think it was a fun depiction of mm. it, I guess. Um And then the whole uh, Tommy running into Judd Apatow
0: oh, yes. at the
1: restaurant and stuff like that, which mm. that's more of an exercise in just like an awkward situation like if if tommy was so wasn't so fucking weird right that might have gone differently Mm -hmm. but at the same time like judd apatow playing like the totally asshole kind of producer right and and you know at the end the lady's like are you okay and he's like he's like yeah thanks for coming right over he went through two (laughs) stands as a fucking shakespeare (laughs) or whatever i was like what a dick you know that was great and and i was like that but that's perfect you know that's Mm -hmm. perfect that's what you would expect like a you know an a-hole Hollywood producer to be like, right? So, oh, absolutely. I I appreciated all those those various depictions and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, Tommy was so had a or the the part where Tommy was auditioning, auditioning as well was yeah. classic, amazing. Yeah,
0: uh, him trying not to do the accent was yes. just brilliant. And I I don't know how James Franco got through that. Oh, me neither. That scene. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. But the Jed Apatow scene, like, it's interesting because. I think the the thing that kind of sets this movie apart in terms of the the kind of idea that that it could alienate the Hollywood system or or be an indictment of it is that the people at the forefront of it aren't like Tommy Wiseau is not is just not cut out for filmmaking yeah or acting like it's just he is it's it's a disaster he's a disaster artist mm-hmm. um and seeing him try to get into Hollywood and failing so, so miserably, uh, that, and that provides a good counterbalance to like, like you said about Greg Sestero's, uh, kind of only going, like only being looked at for his looks and, and, and everything, not at all about his acting talent or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, that's an interesting juxtaposition that kind of depicts what it's like that, like, it's not this bitter look at Hollywood as like, oh, I'm, this is my purpose is to be an actor. So I'm going to go to Hollywood and, and achieve my dreams and everything. It's a depiction of, yeah, this person that probably, you know, shouldn't ha- go for it is going for it. And yeah. is very, uh very, uh very much kind of going down in flames because of it. Um, but going back to the Judd Apatow scene, That's kind of a classic example of like a, you know, you hear stories of like, oh, people getting approached (laughs) in restaurants um, and everything. And like, that's like the, the height of that, of that, uh, that kind of story, that Hollywood story of, you know, someone, some, some asshole coming up to you when you're eating dinner and trying to get you to discover them. yeah, And it's just, it was just beautifully depicted because you have this person who is completely tone deaf to what's going on around him Mm -hmm. and completely just not talented (laughs) and everything. It's, it's just, it's remarkable to see that scene play out. And it's, it's like, it's played for laughs and it is a very funny scene, especially with Judd Apatow being just such a complete asshole to him. Mm -hmm. But there's kind of a, there's a lot of truth to it and a lot of, uh, insight into kind of what it's like to be in Hollywood, I guess I would assume I work in a call center in Indianapolis. Right. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to touch on with spoilers? Um,
1: not, not that I can really think of. No.
0: Yeah. I can't really think of any either. Um, I love that. I love that. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> they called attention to the breast cancer thing. Yeah. And I was just not brought up. Like, does this go right. back? No, it's it's a twist. It's a twist. It's a twist. No, that twist. It's a twist. So funny. <laughs> ah, that was great. <laughs> um, yeah. So will this make your top 10? Probably. Nice. I'd be surprised if nice. it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be up there for me for sure. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that'll do it for our review of the disaster artist. Any parting thoughts? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no thoughts uh, so how's your sex life <laughs> <laughs> I did not hear her it's not <laughs> no. <laughs> true anyways what's new no with you <laughs> <laughs> funny story Mark <laughs> um, alright great well that is our review of the disaster artist go check it out uh, there's nothing else coming out this weekend or anything so don't worry about uh, um, anything do you get it tiny Matt. <laughs> You're tearing me apart, Matthew. <laughs> oh, that's another thing I wanted to bring up. The side by side, yeah, okay. The side by side scenes in the end credits. What did you yeah. think of that? I that was a delight. It
1: really was. Just just their dedication. Yeah. To being so precise, I thought mm-hmm. was, and it's funny because they're they're they tried so hard to do something poorly. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part. <laughs> that's I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wonder if you know James Franco when he was at the Oscars years ago Mm -hmm. for his uh, for 127 hours. If he ever Mm -hmm. thought that you know he would be memorizing the exact proper way to say "hi, (laughs) doggy," you know. Like I wonder if he ever thought that, and Mm -hmm. it's. I wonder if he ever had any kind of notion in his head, like, man, I can't believe we're actually doing this. Yeah. This is silly. In the dedication, it was great.
0: yeah. The dedication in his performance yeah. is made so much more evident also in those scenes, too. Like, um, oh I can't I think it's the scene where they're eating pizza and drinking. Um, like there's a yeah. shot, yeah, where Tommy does something with a shoulder. Yes. In like it's James Franco imitates it perfectly. Yeah, it's a
1: completely arbitrary movement. yeah It means nothing. It's it's almost like he I don't know. It's I can't explain what it is. Not it's a tick Tommy or Rousseau. anything. It's yeah, it's Tommy so <laughs> and yeah, he he imitates it perfectly.
0: Uh incredible.
1: Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I noticed yeah. that as well.
0: Yep. Oh, um my God. Yeah, and then finally, did you stay after the credits? Yes. Okay. That was awesome. It was fun. It was so cool. Yeah. Uh, basically having Tommy Wiseau talk to Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And I love the callback to the New Orleans thing. Yes. That was great.
1: I assume that was, I wonder if that was all just like ad libbed or if there was a script for that. That's a good question. I'd be surprised either way.
0: Yeah. It felt very natural. Yeah. Um, so, so great. Yeah. Uh, man i i really I really, really enjoyed this movie, me too um all right, well, let's close the door on the disaster artist, mm-hmm. and uh we'll be talking about it at the beginning of the year, I'm sure. And yeah, so we're going to go into potpourri, which is the section of the podcast where we just basically talk about whatever we want, anything that we're looking forward to, anything that uh, we've watched lately, anything we want, as long as it smells good, it's potpourri. Uh, Tiny, I have a couple of things, and do you have just the one?
1: Just one thing, yeah.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to get us kicked off and just say uh that I haven't been watching that much stuff in terms of like actual new stuff, um, because I have been preparing for Star Wars The Last Jedi,
1: okay.
0: which we are less than 24 hours from seeing at the time of this recording. And first of all, um, <laughs> elephant in the room, a couple years ago, I was a complete asshole and <laughs> was very much, uh, aggressively, uh, demeaning towards Star Wars. And while I'm not the s- diehard, uh star wars fan are there are they called warriors like trekkies warriors moving on yeah uh i'm not a diehard like Warrior or anything <laughs> but uh it was interesting because i was watching the basically for in preparation for the last jedi i was i watched all the movies leading up to the last jedi and i watched them in Chronological order from the Star Wars timeline. So I started with the prequels, watched Rogue One, and then watched the original trilogy, and then actually tonight I'm gonna watch The Force Awakens. So in doing that, I noticed a couple of things. One is that, uh, Rogue One holds up incredibly well, and in watching it in, in that context, and watching it immediately after the prequels and before the original trilogy, it's a, it's a really good bridge to the two trilogies, mm-hmm. uh, the first two trilogies, and not only is it a good bridge, but it just it leads in so wonderfully into a new hope it's it 's really remarkable, yeah, still cannot take the Tarkin CGI stuff seriously at all mm. um, it 's still just way too uncanny valley for me, but I still think it 's one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, Star Wars movie that i 've seen, mm. and then the other thing that I noticed was that. Tiny, maybe it's because we are, we are now living in a post-Dark Tower world. Um, a post-Dark Tower movie world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the prequels weren't as bad as I remembered. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was actually pretty okay with, with a lot of the stuff that I would have just completely, uh, harped on and, and really been an, an ass toward, mm-hmm. uh, and that I probably wasn't ass toward, uh, two years ago. Um, like, I always thought, like, okay, well, Attack of the Clones is just a complete, like, write-off. Like, it's completely useless. Yeah. And while Anakin's story and Hayden Christensen is terrible and, and all that, I was actually pretty engaged with Obi-Wan's kind of whole, like, pseudo-detective story, kind of uncovering conspiracy story yeah. in it. And I thought that was all right. And then Darth Maul is an amazing uh, villain in the first one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um so yeah, so I'm I'm slowly becoming more and more in interested in the Star Wars universe because hey, we're not gonna get a fucking Dark Tower series. Yeah. <laughs> so I should latch onto the thing that actually has a lot of stuff that I can throw money at and <laughs> and watch. Um Also, uh I talked a lot about Boba Fett previously and how I just don't get the appeal for him and stuff. Yeah, me either. And I mean rewatching the original trilogy it's it's really hard for me to think of my favorite moment for Boba Fett. I, it could be the moment where he's standing in front of Darth Vader, or it could be the moment where he's standing next to Darth Vader. Yeah. Or it could be the moment where he's where he's walking down the hallway. What about the time where he talks? That yes. Oh 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 uh, He says like three words. And he, there are two scenes where he talks, so you know Holy shit. Um yeah. So that's that's uh yeah yeah boba fett still sucks it's fucking overrated uh, so overrated i don't understand it me me neither he has a jetpack so he's automatically cool whatever. exactly um yeah so anyway that's my potpourri i'm slowly 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 becoming more of a star wars fan uh because my hopes of latching onto a fandom i actually love is are dying every day so anyway uh what's your potpourri tiny <laughs>
1: Uh, my my potpourri is the one that uh, Matt thought I was dancing around last week in our <laughs> yes. extended potpourri.
0: Can can I introduce? Can I can I do can I do a bit to introduce it? Sure. Okay. So speaking of kind of iconic and in really uh, remarkably well followed trilogies, I regret
1: already regretting that.
0: Um, what are you bringing up for potpourri? <laughs> <laughs> um, I whenever
1: whenever we do potpourri or extended potpourri we usually make a list and we'll send it to each other Mm -hmm. and at the top of my list i didn't have it in any particular order i wasn't going to bring up anything in any particular (laughs) order but at the top of my list i had 50 shades darker and so matt thought that's where i was going to start but i didn't and then the next time he thought i was going to pick up at the beginning but i didn't and then the third time he's like well now he's definitely going to go from the top but i didn't (laughs) and i had these pre like these precursors to everything i brought up or like speaking of the top 10 or speaking of a movie i really liked i really oh thought you were God. doing a bit every time i yeah
0: and i i wasn't yeah
1: <laughs> i just was not following my list in chronological order
0: i really i really do not catch on quick <laughs> no
1: not so much so that was that's a little inside baseball uh mm-hmm but it's pretty funny. Yeah. So, 50 shades darker. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted to bring it up because I I love the shit out of that series the way that I love like Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um we I don't think we've really talked about Twilight much on this. We really haven't on this podcast. Um I love Twilight ironically. I like Twilight the same way I like The Room. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Even though there's so many people that think Twilight is a terrific piece of film, right. uh, or a terrific series of films, um, they're they're terrible and they're delightfully terrible. The same way that Tommy Wiseau is terrible, right? Um, and so, I genuinely will watch the Twilight movies just to laugh at them. And so, I I'm pleased to say that I have that same reaction to the to the Fifty Shades series. Um, Paige and I, my wife. <clears throat> we watched it on our honeymoon. <laughs> we we were wow. yeah. We were in Cincinnati just for the night because we just, we couldn't really afford to take a true honeymoon because we paid for some of our wedding and mm. bought a house in the same year and a dog, and so we mm. just didn't. We just couldn't fit a, an actual honeymoon in there. So we just basically got a hotel for the night in Cincinnati and did some shopping and went to a nice restaurant and nice. had some fun and and we um we ended up having a bunch of drinks and getting a little buzzed after dinner and we just sat in our hotel room and we were flipping through the channels and i was like oh 50 shades darker is starting in like three minutes let's watch it she was (laughs) like okay and so we watched it it's i i am amazed to say that they actually went even further over the top than the first movie i did not think it was possible for them to be more ridiculous but they achieved it um, and this is coming from a movie where the guy was like, I don't make love. I fuck It's right hard. <laughs> like that's a, that's a legitimate line from the first movie. And the second movie is even more ridiculous than that. Um, Jesus, I don't have a lot to say about it other than I, I just seriously enjoy watching how bad it is and how silly it is and over the top. And, you know, I, I, when I talked about the first movie, I genuinely recognized that you know that there there is an actual. I, I respect that people have different things they're attracted to. They have different fetishes, and like you can't like stop being attracted to a certain thing or a type of person or whatever. And there, that's like a whole spectrum of what people are attracted to. And like S and M is a legitimate thing. Like there are mm-hmm. people who are legitimately attracted to like that thing like inflicting pain on one another that's like a legitimate thing and it's it's just so funny to me that they get it so wrong (laughs) in this series that like that's supposed to be what's like what's sexy and what's interesting about this this series of books and movies is that ooh it's about snm and it's about you know submissive and sadists and masochists and really you know, it's 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 uh, it's taboo and all that, and they just get it so wrong that it's hilarious to me. <laughs> and it's they they double down on it in in the sequel Fifty Shades Darker. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. Wow, I I don't even really remember that much of it to be honest. <laughs> if we if I had talked about it the next day, I would have so many specific things to bring up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I honestly don't even remember a lot of it. Sure, um, it's just over the top and stupid. Um. Yeah, I I really don't have anything else to say about it. Um, I'm kind of glad I didn't bring it up in our extended poppery because it wasn't that interesting.
0: Yeah. Um. So once again, not to not to have you seen them? I've I've seen the first one. Okay, I couldn't. I haven't seen Fifty Shades Darker yet. I did notice that. Uh. The the cash cow of it uh, of the books and everything. Yeah. It's 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 funny to me because uh, E. L. James. Yes. After the success of the the trilogy is what I would call it the trilogy, the original trilogy. Yes. Um, she decided to make uh, remake the books from uh, Christian is it Christian Gray? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, from his perspective.
1: Oh my God! Shut so, up.
0: Yeah. So like the first one is called is just called Gray, and I think the second one like recently came out it's called darker i think oh um my God. yeah
1: it's i bet they're selling like fucking hotcakes too I,
0: yeah you i i assume so but oh my God. i just want to point out though and not to not to you know shame or to quote unquote throw shade as the kids say these days okay i just want to mention that this is the second or third time that you've come like so very uh, so very forcefully toward, to the defense of like SNM and and you are the, yeah. the podcast's uh SNM spokesperson, which <laughs> I find interesting, interesting. Well, no, we live in a climate yeah. where
1: people still think that sexuality is a choice. Right, right. And that pisses me off because it just makes me, like I don't want to get on a soapbox, but it pisses me off because I want to be like, okay, stop being attracted to what you're attracted to. Mm-hmm. Like you, you are, you're a man attracted to women. Stop that and be attracted to men. Just do it right now. You can't. You literally cannot. Like it's not it makes me so mad because it's like it's part of who you are as a person you can't it just makes me mad
0: I agree. I, I was just making a joke, just implying that you're into <laughs> S&M. But yeah, totally. He soapboxed it away. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> My counter to that, though, Tiny, is that if you were to like just say to me, like, okay, stop being attracted to women, be attracted to men, I'd be like, okay, obviously that's ridiculous. But I mean, if Chris, if Chris Evans was in here, I'd be like, oh, well, sure. You know, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> that's ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, I totally, I, for the record, I am uh, behind you 100%. Maybe 10 feet away. Yeah, you are. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I totally agree. That is the official position of the obsessive viewer. Thank you. uh, That, you know, hey, be attracted to, you know, whatever you want to be attracted to. If you're attracted to giving us money, hey, more power to, yeah.
1: That is legitimately not a choice. That's a way of life. It is, yes. Yeah.
0: Um, Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, to round out potpourri... Um, I just have something that's, something's also kind of inside baseball, but uh, a couple things. One is that, um, no, there's, there's a better way to transition into this. Oh, God. Um, speaking of, speaking of, uh, creepy men with playrooms, <laughs> um, <laughs> yesterday after work, I did some work on the RSS feed for the podcast. Okay. So I basically, <laughs> um, if you'll notice you you might need to unsubscribe and then resubscribe to it as which is what I did on Pocketcast, but I basically updated the titles of all the episodes all the first hundred or the first ninety nine episodes so that now if you were to say mass download all the episodes and then like have their own little folder, which is what I assume that everyone does is they <laughs> they download permanent uh copies of each episode yeah but they will actually be alphabetized in alphabet alphabetical order oh
1: my god you are yeah. such a nerd
0: i i yeah I, it drove me crazy because i do have a master list like a folder of all the finished episodes and each one's titled like ov1 ov2 ov10 ov20 ov90 and then ov100 so like each like each one is like like one's one digit, like a bunch of them are one digit, another is two digits, and then three digits. So I basically did zero, zero, 001, zero, zero, 002, zero, zero,
1: 003. I had no idea how zero, much one, I zero. didn't care about that I know. until you started telling
0: me about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just really satisfying <laughs> because now when I look at the list, everything is uniform. Everything is great. And I also updated the... Um, Show notes in several of the episodes because the, the HTML was out, out of whack. So anyway, um, anyway, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But kind of leapfrogging off of that, I did check the iTunes reviews, um, which I was delighted to see <laughs> that we got a new iTunes review, which we yes. are – it's interesting because we are running that promotion where if you review the show on iTunes and send us a screenshot with your review, uh, you could win a free Obsessive Viewer t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I do just want to read this one, uh, review we got recently on December 8th, uh, from Curtis, uh, Crutchfield, who is on in the Obsessive Viewer Facebook group. And, uh, yeah, so he, <laughs> I, I got a good chuckle out of this review. It's five stars and the head and the subject is honest. He said, Matt and his friends seem like they are just having a conversation about geeky stuff. I don't sense pretension or like they're trying too hard. Matt's habit of starting a sentence before he has the thought complete is kind of funny, <laughs> 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 which I'm so glad that that, that that sentence ended with kind of funny and not, Completely infuriating every <laughs> single week, because that's how I feel every time I uh, I edit the podcast and yeah. I listen to my dumb ass.
1: My response to that is not after 230 episodes.
0: Nice. <laughs> I'm kidding. Nice. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, and then finally, last thing, and then we can call it a night, is uh, this is what I should have started this second section of Pope Potpourri with, because it's relevant to what you just brought up, but... This is going to sound weird now. that That's a weird way to set this up. A little bit. Uh, Friend of the show, Matt and Draco. Yes. Um, Speaking of Fifty Shades Darker, (laughs) Matt and Draco, who is a Patreon subscriber, and he's a friend of the show and friend of the hosts, Mm -hmm. um, he uh, gifted me a couple of uh, discount codes for Adam. Yes. Yeah, which he also did for you for... Thor. Thor, yeah. Yep. Uh, which he, um, basically he just messaged me and saying like, hey, I'm not going to be able to use these codes, it's a $5 ticket, uh, you just basically put in the promo code, it gives you a ticket for $5, in case you want to see a movie this week, that's not Star Wars, since we already have our tickets. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely, so I'm actually going to go see Star Wars again on Saturday nice. with those with those passes. Cool. Yeah, but I want to mention that, uh, first of all, I've never used this, this, uh, this app, Adam, before, yeah. which I guess is... Isn't just, just, uh, movie tickets. I think it's, you can just share coupons with people.
1: Yeah, it's all kinds of stuff. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not super familiar with it, but.
0: Yeah. But for, for our purposes, you can, like, you can use it to, to do, uh, to buy t- movie tickets and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when, when navigating the app, uh, I did notice that on February 8th, um, in, in what I'm assuming are select cinemas, uh, all three movies, one marathon night, Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, and Fifty Shades thir- uh, Fifty Shades Freed. Oh my God! Uh, cumulative runtime of five hours and thirty six minutes. Wow,
1: that's that's too long to have an erection. So it's against doctor's orders.
0: If you want to buy us tickets. <laughs> We will go, <laughs> dude. And I will, we will go review the experience. I hope you're
1: not joking. I'll do that.
0: I honestly, I'm not. I'm not really <laughs> joking. <laughs> okay, February eighth. That's a Thursday. My PTO kicks in for next oh, God. year.
1: Oh dang! I can't do that. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't yeah. have any time off. Huh? Got married.
0: How? How convenient. Yeah, right? like it doesn't roll over for the next Damn year. Damn it since it's february it's gonna be 2018 if it's an
1: amc theater i might be able to work there because we have a contract with amc i've had like That's my the company i work for has a contract with amc
0: oh okay i've had to go to amcs and work before so, oh really yeah nice so how does that factor into getting to see 50 shades i could be scheduled to work at that oh that gotcha. day Okay. But probably well, not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that it'll be at night nighttime, though. So, yeah, if you want to... B- Damn it, Matt. You can buy us tickets. Me and Tiny will go <laughs> see this experience, and we will do a special episode dedicated to the Fifty Shades Marathon. Fuck yes. Yes. I will do that. Oh, my God. We're going to do this. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, but the, the uh, stipulation is you have to buy our tickets because, you know... Um
1: we can't be seen to be contributing to such right to such nonsense.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have we have names to uphold. Yes,
1: we have limitations. Um,
0: yeah. But anyway, <laughs> uh yeah, and then and then final thought is going back to the uh iTunes review from Curtis. <laughs> um, uh I mentioned that we do we're doing that promotion, which he didn't send me a screenshot of it, so I don't know if he wants to be entered into the contest and Like, I'm not gonna for, I'm gonna probably Facebook message him if, if he's the only one that submits Mm -hmm. or that has, that does the, uh, the iTunes review. But then I just realized, like, uh, like when thinking about that, I was like, uh, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to randomly message this, this dude that I don't know. And like, I don't know (laughs) in person Be like, Hey, can you give me your address and your shirt size? Right. (laughs) So anyway, um, if you want to enter into the contest, just leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You have until December 31st at midnight and uh, send me a screenshot, uh, to Matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And, uh, yeah, that's across the board with our other podcast, Tower Junkies and Anthology. So. Anyway, anything else that you want to talk about, Tiny?
1: My voice is kind of going out again.
0: Oh, no. I don't know why. Wow.
1: Well, we were working at a very loud place today, so I had to yell to my partner a lot, so I think, I think that's I see. why. Just well, that if, sucks. If anyone noticed mm-hmm. that my voice changed.
0: Well, drink some tea and yes. uh, soothe your throat, because next week, Tiny, is a big one. We are yes. going to be reviewing Ferdinand. Stop. um i i can't stop i can't uh it's gonna be star wars the last jedi we're gonna be reviewing that uh i think we're going to have tony troxel if we can sk- do scheduling uh with him and then i think what i might do is do a like one-on-one review with with uh fecus much like we did with the dark tower um just because it's a big movie and uh you know it's 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 a big movie totally So look forward to that next week and also check out Tower Junkies at TowerJunkiesPod.com and also Anthology at AnthologyPod.com and I think that'll do it. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks guys. What are you bringing up for Potpourri?
1: I don't know. I just went to my thing to look it up real
0: quick. You saw Thor Ragnarok, didn't you?
1: I sure did.
0: Nice. What'd you think?
1: I enjoyed the hell out of it. Nice. Mm. I uh, really enjoyed it, bro. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Best fucking character. That was,
1: he like he pretty much stole the movie. He
0: really did. That was so funny. Uh Are voiced... you interested in Revolution? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Uh voiced by director Taiko Waititi. Right. Yeah. Right.
1: Has he done anything else of note?
0: He did, he directed um, what we do in the shadows. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay.
2: Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at OVPodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. If you'd like to support the show, the best and easiest way is to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. More ratings and reviews means it'll be easier for people to find the show in the highly competitive film and TV podcast genre. It also provides us with valuable feedback on the show. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a one-time PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate, or become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring donations with different reward tiers. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, notebooks, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can also buy other great Tee Public designs in our store, and we'll get a small commission on the sale. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com donate. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loud Light from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. We love to hear from you guys. You can contact us by emailing podcast at obsessiveviewer.com or by tweeting us at obsessiveviewer, at obsessive tiny, and at I am Mike White. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer, where you can take part in discussions and polls between episodes. For more podcast content, check out Anthology, Matt's solo podcast, where he's reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and exploring other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows. You can find Anthology at AnthologyPod.com and anywhere podcasts are found. For book lovers, you can check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Once again, thank you so much for listening.